You're listening to the Denver Real Estate Investing Podcast, brought to you by RICO, your local guide for all things real estate investing in Colorado. What's up, Colorado? Today's podcast is our quarter three 2022 commercial market update podcast. I've got a lot of experts and great people in the podcast studio today to give their perspective on what's going on in the market. And we're also going to go through some very interesting data as to what happens to cap rates when we see big spikes and big decreases in interest rates and how cap rates react or don't react. And we'll have some debating on there as well. So circling around the table here, in no particular order, I got Travis Spear with Renovo Financial. How are you, Travis? Great, Chris. Thanks for having us here today. Will Sherman from Kaufman Hagen. And got to give a correction because I know last time, Will, I think we misspelled your name. It's Will Sherman with an H in the last name. So I'm going to correct that for the record. Appreciate that. So glad to have you back. (laughs) And Kevin Wilsley from Kaufman Hagen as well. Good morning, Kevin. Thanks for having me here. And last but not least, we got Tom from First Integrity Title to give us a lot of knowledge as well because you have a very different, interesting perspective than we have on the brokerage and lending side. Well, we'll see. Thank you. <laughs> well, I already have a sneak peek. And unfortunately, uh, William or Marcus from Spearhead Capital cannot join us. I got some good notes to weave into here. Uh, but Kevin, I want to start with you in a question, because we were talking about this a few days ago, uh, just talking about what you're seeing in the market. And you talked to a lot of investors. And I'll see the market has shifted with interest rates increasing. But you're in the trenches and you start giving a really good like breakdown as to what people were saying and not saying and what the activity was going on. Could you repeat that here for us? Um, I'll do my best. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, shift is a good word because, you know, deals are still happening, but just happening a little differently. Um, you know, like an example that we were talking about that day is, you know, there's a lot more time being spent with the underwriting before somebody actually goes and submits an offer. There's a lot more consideration. Once a deal does go under contract, there's a lot more time uh, and on the due diligence phase as opposed to just kind of, you know, cruising through it quickly. Um, yeah, a I, lot more, yeah, I want to actually, yeah. if I can interrupt there, because that was one of the things that it sounded like, you know, obviously the last year or two, the market's been a frenzy um, yeah. and a lot, a lot less people in that frenzy mode. But you said like the underwriting and the lending. Can you give some examples about how like the your time and investor times has shifted in those two buckets? Yeah, I mean, with the underwriting, a lot of people, I think, you know, uh, were just making a, you just making assumptions or trusting that the value of their property was going to go up and calling it uh, appreciation, as opposed to actually like paying attention to what the rents are or what is happening in those areas, and you know, might have mistaken where the dollar's value went down, therefore their property costs more, as opposed to actually adding value and being a true value add person and figuring out how. Uh, they're going to increase the value of the property, whether it's rent increases or whatever the case may be. And so now there's a lot more sophisticated folks that are spending a lot more time on the deals where people that were just kind of casually assuming that their property was going to cost more in two years. Um, I mean, yeah, those folks are kind of quieting down a little bit, right? I mean, that the, the crazy yeah. growth wave is over. Um, yeah. Or looks like it's over. Yeah. Um, and then on the lending, and then on lending, you said a lot more people like you're just doing a lot more like uh, shopping around for lenders for specific deals and criteria. Can you talk about that some? Yeah, it's just more competitive as opposed to somebody saying, hey, this is who I go to because they're nice and they're my friends or something. It's where can I get the best interest rate to make this deal work because the numbers are a little bit tighter or a lot tighter. Um, so deals are still happening, but it takes effort. Yeah. You know, it takes sophistication, understanding, but effort would be the main word I'd use right now. 
Do you yeah. th- uh, Kevin, do you think that it kind of weeded out some maybe lazy operators? Yeah. I mean, it kind of feels like you're saying somebody bought it, expected appreciation regardless of what happened. You know, for so long, we saw these OMs with pro forma rents, and it's like, well, if that's a pro forma, why don't you go get it, right? And yeah. So you seem <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, you said it more directly than me. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, 100%. And I mean, ironically, on that point, to build on that, though, the rents, you know, we are still seeing big increases on rents because of the interest rates going sure. up. So folks aren't able to buy houses as much and are becoming more renters. So, you know, as the interest rates go up, but the rents are going up, I mean, there's a lot of factors that are in play. And that's kind of where I was leading with like a little more sophisticated underwriting taking place and sure. diligence. Yeah. yeah. No, you're right. You know, I think you're right. I think I've been through a couple of these cycles and you'll see people get weeded out and, you know, um, you know, value add is not buying the property and sitting for two years and you made 30% return because you bought it at the right time. Now you'll see people that really are value add and are good operators still making good returns on these deals because they know what they're doing. Yeah. I mean, value add is a word that gets thrown around a lot. And sometimes it's code for, I want to buy it cheap. You say, I'm a value add guy, man. You mean you want to buy it cheap? Like everybody, you're like, I guess. Yeah. Um, but no, you're absolutely yeah. right. Now it's it, it's be more real. Before we hit record, Tom, you were giving like just a high level overview because I mean, you know, at First Integrity Title, you guys see just a lot of volume, a lot of transactions, both in you know kind of retail, residential, and you know all all different levels of commercial projects. Could you give us an overview about what you're seeing in in from your perspective? You know, I, obviously the residential resale refi business is gone. Um, no one's refinancing right now at 6% or whatever. I don't even know what the rate is today. Haven't even looked, but so that business has dried up. And what we're seeing is, you know, first time home buyers and move up buyers have been significantly impacted by this. They're renters again, a three to $500 mortgage payment swing to a first time home buyer is significant. So we've definitely seen a drop off in that where I will tell you is the higher end, you know, million and a half dollar homes, and sort of secondary homes in the mountains that people are cash buyers, still seeing activity there. On the commercial side, where we've seen not a significant drop off in contracts falling out, but deals probably six, seven million and under are being repriced. And the deals 25 million and under that I would say you get more institutional grade, there's still, we haven't seen any fallout or repricing. Now, as new deals like that go under contract, they're going to price differently. But, you know, where we've seen it is on commercial deals, six, seven million and under. And on the residential side, first time and move up home buyers have really been impacted by the rate movement. But that's good for multifamily. Well, those are, that's kind of feeds in the rent increases, as Kevin was just talking about. So, Will, I know you're very active. You're doing a lot of development stuff along with multifamily. What What's your pulse in the market? What are you hearing from people? What are you seeing in this newer market or new market we're in? I mean, we're definitely kind of, Kevin hit the nail on the head. You know, there's definitely kind of a further scrutinization of just all the numbers and all the costs. The biggest thing that developers face is, you know, they we're still in a huge labor shortage in the construction industry. It's several hundred thousand jobs, you know, across the country. And Denver's had that governor for for some time, you know, there's always been a shortage of trades and definitely contractors that are able to complete and live up to the, you know, the work demand that we have here. We've had it for some time. So that's nothing new, but 
the material costs, I think, are you know the biggest thing that developers are kind of just still shaking their heads at and not able to wrap their heads around just because it's partially regulatory. It's partially still the ramifications of you know coming coming out of COVID and everything like that 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 created. And so you know it's it's kind of definitely a complicated beast. You know, no 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 different than assessing the you know interest rate climate or any of these other any of these other challenges that that folks are up against in the industry right now. Um, one interesting statistic I saw recently in the John Burns report that comes out every quarter was that basically still now the ratio of employment growth and number of permits issued, new building permits, was still pretty high. But the projection is for that to go down over See, the next over What the next was the ratio quarter. again? It's the ratio of job growth or jobs created in relation to the amount of permits that are issued. So permits for rentals and permits for builds. Permits both. for new for new construction. Okay. Yeah. And so basically what that is trying to tap into is kind of understanding how well the market and the home builders and developers within it are keeping pace with just the population growth and the folks that are coming in that have, you know, paying positions that are going to allow them to be entering into the market. Like Tom said, you know, the new home buyer is always going to be in the, the first move up is all, they're always going to get hit the hardest, you know, with anything like this, just because the numbers have to be tighter. And, you know, we had a, a feeding frenzy, you know, when interest rates were in the high, high twos and low threes. Um, and now it's becoming more cost prohibitive. So it's just, it's gonna, it's just going to change the pool of buyers slightly here. Um, and then also just re invite all the discussions with how do we make the cost of building cheaper? You know, is that, is that all is, you know, what's the give and take between the private and the public sector? How, how is everybody going to navigate that? Well, I think one of you, you touched on it real quick was, um, the home builders and what we've seen and what I've talked and had some conversations, a lot of home builders that were tying up land, especially for that first time home buyer move up product, or walk, you know, they're going soft on some of those land contracts right now. And well, they have to because yeah. they can't. I mean, there's no way, there's no way to make it pencil. Yeah. You know, if you have, if you, you know, if you were looking at, I mean, I saw the median home price still in Denver is over six hundred and fifty thousand. Yeah. You know, anybody that's you don't have to be a mathematician to understand that you know a few percent of six hundred and fifty thousand is still a significant number. It's a good chunk of money. Twenty percent of that number is one hundred and thirty grand. So, you know, there definitely is you know a, it's a pretty big wall to climb to you know get get into you know just to get into the fold. And um, you know, yeah, I think we're definitely going to see a, a lot of pullback. I mean, I. There's, you know, home builders are going to start land banking and just kind of thinking about future phases and figuring out how they can navigate this supply chain climate, you know, that it, it may be alleviated a little bit, you know, if we do kind of pull back a little bit here, um, you know, and start talking about that dreaded R word. But um, <laughs> yeah. but I think, uh, you know, yeah, it's just definitely a, they're they're up against a huge challenge, no different than the investors that Kevin is working with. You know, everybody's up against a, more challenges than they were six months ago to make things pencil and to make sure that their investment theses are, are you know, being being acted well, upon. Well, I won't say the name, but I was with a home builder the other day who had some land, a lot of land tied up, and they're looking to change their product type now. Yeah. So he's going to SF single family for rent mm -hmm. and he's going, well, maybe instead of 300 home subdivision for sale, I'm going to do an SFR product yeah. and do single family for rent. On I, the heard a, I heard a really interesting um, 
comment from a from a big big developer again not, not gonna say their name but they were talking about how their their design now is more catered to the supply chain and what they're able material procurement what they're able to actually get in in a re, in a realistic time time frame more than what they're you know what they know they can sell wow. really well so they're sitting there saying well you know if we're gonna have if we have to frame it or if we have to amenitize the build with you know these improvements or these appliances or these you know finishes or what have you they're sitting there saying well if we can't get those that's not a part of that that's not a part of the product line anymore Interesting. you know they need to basically make sure that you know they're thinking to themselves oh wow if i want to take this to market in a year or eight months what's going to be available in five months you know when i need to be outfitting it with those with those different mm-hmm. um components so I want to uh, I want to go over a chart with you guys, and then I got a very specific question for you, Travis. Um, something we talked about a few weeks ago, but this is a chart that uh, Long Walsh put together, and there's two charts. One tracks every time interest rates spiked by more than one percent, and in a short period of time, and the other chart is when interest rates drop by one percent or more. And I think there's ten of each, either nine or ten of each, and we'll have the chart in the uh, show notes. But these areas in red show where rates increased. And what was fascinating to me, because these cap rates were pulled from commercial multifamily data since 1979, when interest rates spiked by 1% or more, the average cap rate changed by negative 0.1%. And in 1995, when rates went up 2%, cap rates went up 0.1%. And so far in 2022, we're about 2.1% increase in rates. And very similar numbers here to what we're seeing on the uh, when interest rates drop. Interest rates dropped up 9 or 10 times by a point or more, and, and cap rates changed by negative 0.1%. This data surprised me a lot. I expect the cap rates to change more. So I'm curious about your guys' opinion. And while we talk about this, you know, something we talked about a few weeks ago, Travis, and I'll go back to these guys is you brought up a very interesting like uh, video from you know, some uh, real estate guru on Instagram. I forget his name. And basically he's pointing out like, hey, our price is going to drop and our real estate professionals, are we drinking too much <laughs> own Kool-Aid? And we're all saying, hey, stock market's crashing, crypto's crashing, but real estate won't. Right. <laughs> so with data in mind and just that, asking that good question, um, what do you guys think is going to happen? And Travis? Yeah, this this information you provided here is really interesting, right? Uh, interest rates versus cap rate, just very specifically. Because when we came in, we kind of joked, uh, what's changing? I said, interest rates are up and cap rates are compressing, right? And we all kind of laughed. But this here, I guess, tells you what we often hear is that there's a lot of money out there, right? And maybe people believe in, and I don't know if this is specific to Denver, Um or uh, across the United States, but people continue to believe in real estate. And one of the things that uh, Tom and I were kind of talking about before we got going was uh, that I'm starting to see properties that to hit a one, two, you might, uh, debt coverage, you might have to be at 65% loan to value, which is not something investors are typically used to. Maybe 75, maybe if really aggressive, maybe even 80% loan to value. So we're seeing projects get capped out in loan amount by debt coverage ratio before we see them get capped out on loan amount by loan to value, which historically, or at least in the last 10 years has never been the case. Um, so are we drinking the Kool-Aid? I don't know, man. <laughs> it's just, it's fun to see this information here. And I think the, the Kool-Aid may be a tad bit more on the residential side where everybody's continues to tout supply and demand, supply and demand. 
Um, and Tom, as he just mentioned previously, there's still deals happening, even big deals and institutional money. And Kevin mentioned more sophisticated investors doing deals. And Will's talking about people who are getting deals now so they can deliver in two years. So there's still going to be smart money and there's still going to be money in this business. Um, and maybe it's more attractive now with the stock market swings and the different things that we've seen um, over the last couple of years. I think what Travis is trying to touch on is that even a 1% return on investment is still a hell of a lot better than your savings account. For sure. And so, <laughs> you know, a lot of these bigger players and and smaller players, I, I think, know that pretty wholeheartedly. And so things are still moving and, you know, the the spread might not be might not be as as strong as it was, but they're definitely you know, people are still making things pencil. And we've, you know, touched on it when we first started, you know, this is where the, the the real players, you know, the cream rises to the top, you know, to use a age old cliche. <laughs> Tom, Kevin, you guys got any thoughts, reaction to uh, this? You know, I, or this chart? As no one not really, you know, that surprises me. <laughs> um, and I bet there's a lot of people that want, will watch this podcast and listen to it that disagree. Sure. And hopefully <laughs> it creates a lot of um, communication back and forth to you because. I think there are people that go, no, you're crazy. Like I can show you. So, it, so roast us in the comments. Yeah. yeah. So, but I, I think that's good. I, I yeah. you know, you want to stimulate conversation, yeah. and you know, deals will still get done. I mean, that's you know, there's a lot of people that make a lot of money when the market's like this, for sure. Yeah. I mean, well, yeah, and the, I mean, the the triple net people are you know, taking a look at this chart and laughing their, you know, butts off just because they're, you know, you can still go and buy those in oh. a six, seven cap. So, you know, there's definitely, there's plenty of opportunity yeah. out there. You just have to be looking, looking hard enough. So something that uh, Marcus Davis had emailed over from Spearhead, he's going to make it, he just sent over a few notes. And I'm curious really from your guys' perspective, because um, he was going through three recommended tips that they're recommending to their clients right now. Because he basically say, hey, with the expectation that rates will continue to rise throughout this year and knowing there is a interest rate risk while moving towards a closing, it's important to try to eliminate rate risk during the process if you believe rates will continue to rise. And their three recommendations are to offer up a deposit relationship or reserve account with the lender, provide a solid sponsorship, this is number two, provide a solid sponsorship equity partners through personal guarantees, um, and number three, consider lowering the risk profile of the transaction by coming in with a low leverage or you know higher amount down for DSCR. So it's those three things. I mean, Travis, I mean, you're a lender too. Would you add anything on there or clarify anything that I may have misread? No, uh, very good points. I, I chuckled a little bit to myself when they said bring strong sponsorship as number two, and maybe they were in no particular order. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, number two, as a as an investor owner, when it says sign personally, right? Like, no way, right? Like, you know, that's 101 real estate, don't sign personally. And so um, I, I would argue or debate William and Marcus on that point, who were friends of mine, but I would say, I would advise do whatever you can not to sign personally. Sure. Well, it depends if you want better. But I think yeah. if you want better interest rate, oh yeah, do a PG right for sure. Yeah, no, but, yeah. 
And that might affect kind of the small to medium investor a little more, right? Yeah. Who maybe doesn't have the ability to go non-recourse. So it's like, hey, maybe you bring in a partner or bring in some more equity to get that down to hit your DSCR. Maybe that makes it a little cleaner deal or easier to approve. That is one thing that we talk more about now is the fastest path to approval, not only on term stuff, but also on bridge deals. It's like, yeah, could we really fight and go to 90% loan to cost? Sure, we could probably do that. But should we, if we could, if it's important to the borrower, if that's not important to the borrower, they're willing to go to 85 and have a really smooth process to approval. Like, let's go that route. And so to that point there of lowering leverage a little bit to make it easier to get done, ultimately you have to ask yourself, and I think we've all been in the business long enough to think back to a deal you missed out on and you're upset about, right? Maybe even still to today. Um, is it worth missing the deal? Is it bring, worth bringing in a partner, a little bit of equity or something to still get the deal done? And maybe it is. And, and that's different for everyone. Will, Kevin, with those three tips of mine, and I think I know, Kevin, you said earlier that you guys are spending a lot more time on just talking to more banks to get, you know, a great product. Have you seen any like your part or your uh, clients uh, implement any of these or kind of change your strategies or other like tips you're taking your clients through to help them, you know, mitigate interest rate risk? I mean, the conversations that I were having were a, a lot more simple on the drive here, but it was like, we need to lock in our rate ASAP, like now, like tomorrow, yeah. Yeah. Uh, as opposed to kind of you know, waiting around and shopping around, but, to, and I, and I'm curious about how the cap rates have, don't make such a huge shift. And if that is more just the fact that people have to put more money down and that's really where the big change is, because that slide, it was, uh, surprising to yeah. me as well. Um, what pops in my mind? Cause I, I mean, I lived in California years ago and I, um, I dipped my toe for a couple months on like multifamily brokerage out there. And people out there were putting down 35, 45% in apartment buildings. And that was just the norm. Yeah, it's also all relative. Yeah, subjective. That was the norm out there. For sure. Yeah. I mean, right now the rates aren't that crazy, but compared to two years ago, they're crazy high. Yeah, sure. You know, so it's all relative what you're comparing it to, definitely. Okay. I don't know. I wish I'd been through it already so that I had uh, uh, a crystal ball to be able to predict what's happening. That's why we have Tom here. (laughs) The guy with no hair and gray hair. Um, you brought your crystal ball, right? You know, I think one of the things it's this is more a relational thing, but I think there's so much negative stuff going on. Every time you pick up something, someone's mm-hmm. posting something negative. I think in times like this where you're where you're providers of a service, whether it's lending, brokerage, title, it's find you, you can't manufacture positive news, but try to find positive deliver useful information to your clients that's not always negative because sure. i i think that's really critical right now it, it's it's be present be in front of people and try to deliver value add information that's not all because everyone everything's not negative right now everything isn't the sky isn't falling and if you find though i i try to send one positive email out a day with some positive information yeah. every day I like that. And you have to dig a little yeah, bit. I got to go to that third page. Of <laughs> yeah, I, I, I Googled, I Googled yesterday. I Googled positive commercial real estate information. Nothing showed up. No, I did. I found a couple. Yeah. So if you uh, work hard enough. I agree with you. It's almost like life advice at this point, but um, I definitely make a point to not spend as much time on the news. And I mean, we always talk about it in our office is just focus on the fundamentals. So, you know, blocking and tackling, yeah. like all those things still exist as opposed to getting caught up in the, I mean, confusion causes fear yep. and then fear causes people to be paralyzed. And while there are those groups that are paralyzed, there's the other folks that um, have been waiting for this moment. 
or are. Yeah. And I mean, and the, the positive, I mean, yeah, just to touch on one, you know, positive thing and, you know, with underwriting deals and kind of looking at numbers and everything, you know, rents still are going up, you know, that is definitely, you know, that's how a lot of people in this business make money, you know, between the, their either long-term leases with commercial tenants or with, you know, residential tenants that are signing, you know, six, eight, 12 month, two year leases, those numbers still are going up. And that's what has kind of saved a lot of folks in over the last, you know, several months and even a couple of years. And that's going to become, you know, more crucial than ever here, you know, moving forward. But, you know, I think pro forma is such a, you know, such as, you know, kind of a funny term. I mean, I think it even translates to for the sake of form. And, you know, we kind of talked about, you know, like, yeah, you need you need something in that column, you know, you can't just give them nothing. And before those numbers sometimes looked a little ridiculous and then now they're reality. And so I think a lot of people are, you know, kind of biting their tongues when they're, you know, getting OMs and, um, you know, different offerings sent over to them because now they're actually taking those numbers a little bit more seriously. Like, oh, wow, you think you can get, you know, 275, close to $3 a foot here? Oh yeah, I mean, we called... We surveyed the three buildings next door and they've that's their new leasing rate. So, you know, we're giving you a number that is gonna happen here. And and that's kind I got of a, a random positive question piece. for you here on like you brought an interesting point. And this is for everyone, because you mentioned triple net still, you know, some good deals and some, you know, higher cap rates. Um, but something that someone pointed out, or I read an article a while ago is you know, with like the triple net, especially like office building, is that a lot of times those leases are predetermined for the next five or ten years. And it might be a two, three, four percent increase yeah which is great during sometimes but now sure. during high inflation not so great and that's kind of one of the interesting about you know multifamily things things turn over every 12 months basically you get much quicker uh market return do you think those aspects like will affect triple net numbers in the future like how's that come to play in like an investor's valuation i know it's a very random question hard one but i've been very curious about this yeah, I mean, Chris, no, it's a, it's a loaded, it's definitely a good, great question. You know, a lot of different layers to it. I think that, I mean, if somebody t- was signing a 10-year triple net lease, you know, two years ago, you know, I don't think that anybody in their underwriting team was saying in June, July of 2022, two years from now, the consumer price index is going to be over eight and a half or nine percent. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't think anybody you know, had the crystal ball, you know, or anything like that to just kind of say unequivocally, this is exactly what's going to happen. But that's part of the reason why those increases are baked into the contracts. And yeah, I don't think that they, they might not hit, hit it perfectly flush down the fairway, but they are an effort to, you know, be an answer or a partial answer to some of the, you know, just inflationary, you know, risk that that anybody takes on with a long-term lease. But with that said, it does lock them in and I think that's just kind of the theme right now with a lot of these deals is, you know, Tom mentioned that refinances are probably not going to be happening for a little bit while longer until rates start to come back. But if deals pencil now at a higher debt, at higher debt rate, that means that when you do have the opportunity to refinance, you're going to be an incredibly mm-hmm. much, you know, better position. And I think that that's part of the part of it with the triple net guys is, you know, you make it pencil now, you look at it, this is the this is how much money we're going to be making for these terms. And it paves a lot more of the runway, you know, when you have a lot yeah, of those three and a half, five percent increases year over year. And, you know, a lot of the times it's bigger corporations that are paying those. So, you know, it's not as as much of an intimate conversation of, you know, with your tenant saying, oh, well, you know, I'm really sorry, but, you know, rent's going up. And, you know, then it's 
you know, much less personal, I guess is yeah. what I'm, what I'm yeah. kind of saying. But if you look at it and a little bit off, but on along the same track, this probably would have happened 18 to 20 months ago had it not been for COVID. Right. Mm. Let's think, mm. I mean, this was probably on track to happen in 20 or 21, yeah. but COVID hit and the Fed had to do, I mean, they probably overreacted, but, you know, we kept interest rates down to combat COVID and what was fear of the economy. Remember when COVID hit the first couple of months, I remember being on conference calls with 30 to 40 owners, guys I did business with, and everyone was freaked out about what's our, what are our rents going to look like? Yeah. Are we going to collect 40 to 50% of our rents? And it, at the end of the day, that never really, and foreclosure is going to go through the roof. Right. People are going to start handing back. No, that didn't happen. No, no. And so what happened, you know, COVID put this off, of, in my opinion, COVID put this off for 18 to 20 months. Well, the, the, not only were the rates lowered, but then the stimulus money that was printed, oh. right? So it really just kicked the can. So of course, now we sit here with the 9.1 and the CPI yeah. and it's like, well, kind of like, duh. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, you, you hear people talk about it and go, well, you know, again, in one of the, one of the, one of the big problems we're facing and you were talking about it in rents, is affordability. Right. We have a huge affordability problem in this country. I mean, yeah. you know, you talked about the average price of homes, but, you know, I was with some affordable guys this morning, and they, they're they at they're at 100% capacity on their affordable product and have waiting lists. It's some, I mean, it's tens of thousands of units short. That, oh. That, you know, easily. That yeah. they, that, you know, and so that, that's kind of like, you know, I was having a conversation with a uh, gentleman ye yesterday evening about this, and we were kind of just thinking from a macro perspective. So you say everybody's at their peak production right now. You know, they can't build any more. They can't do anything. They can't lease up any faster than they are right now. So now basically with that kind of that shortage, you're asking that same group to sit there and say, okay, I see what you're doing, but I need you to be 20% I need you to outproduce what you're doing now by 20%. And I need you to do that for the next decade. Well, and we're, or we're still, you know, we're still going to be, well, be net behind. My market rate friends, and we're going to kill me by this comment, but guys who are building A and B properties, they're not really addressing the affordability issue. No. It's, it's, you know, that's, you know, those, you know, where we're short is that, you know, the people that aren't living in A and B properties. Yeah. Right? And, you know, no, nothing against my buddies who are building those properties. I, we love closing them every day, but you know, there's a there's a big gap, and that 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 group that's underserved. There's a big gap, but it's further exacerbated by the fact that you know the new affordability requirements uh, in Denver. They have just basically repositioned some of the money back onto the top paying tenants too. Oh, so absolutely. So there's you know you, you know you own a building and you say all right, well, ten percent of my units now are going to be be affordable, that's great. But then those those costs get then put back onto the other tenants. And so I think it was, there's some number that someone ran and I think it's a hundred and it's like $150 plus or minus that everybody's rent could go up, you know, in the Denver and the Denver metro area because of this until yeah, more, until, until yeah. more product comes online. Yeah. Yeah. And then you look at places like Lakewood that have these restrictions yeah. on how many units yeah. can be built. And it's like, Okay, there's there's reasons why we're not building more product because certain municipalities make it incredibly hard. 
Yeah, actually, yeah. I'm working with a builder in Lakewood who's trying to get a, tw- a 13 unit out of the ground, and then there'll be two more 12 or 13 unit buildings to follow. Now, it's not like um, affordable or anything like that, yeah. but just simply supply and demand units say that, you know, it should help rents and uh, it's in Lakewood and it's just impossible to get to the final step for the building permit. And you know, you're looking around on a vacant lot on an area of West yeah, Colfax. It's it kind of so, so right. And it's yeah. like, we can bring in some new product, bring in some new people uh, to lease these things. And they just like, can't get it through the city of that last bit. And uh, the, when we were talking previously about the builders land banking or going build for rent, our municipalities too, like look, forget the supply chain piece or the construction costs. It, it takes you so long to get a permit that you almost have to land bank. So things that uh, lots that were being purchased last year may be coming out of the ground this year or beginning of next. And uh, that makes it really difficult to plan long-term also. Yeah. Well, guys, we're at that half hour mark. Uh, this was a fantastic conversation. Uh, really enjoyed it. Of course, everyone's contact details, email, phone numbers will be in the show notes. But Tom with First Integrity, uh, if you guys have any questions on title, general deals, I mean, First Integrity is great for residential, commercial. Tom and his team, go talk to them for commercial multifamily brokerage, development stuff. Talk to Kevin, talk to Will, the rest of the team over there. Of course, we got Travis Spear with Renovo doing some very creative financing as well. So these are all very smart people active people in day-to-day. As you can see from the conversation, they know their stuff, so definitely reach out to them with questions or to do deals. So guys, thank you so much. Yeah, thanks, thank you. Thank you. Thanks.